I want to tell you something. Uh, when I get discouraged about ministry and the church, um, I do something. And um, we always, you know, get discouraged from time to time. And sometimes, you know, uh, there are lots of discouragements about the church because the church is still imperfect, right? It's not perfect. One day we will be perfect when Jesus brings us um, home. But I'm in the habit of keeping notes. Every once in a while I'll get notes. Sometimes I'll get email. But once in a while I'll get a, a sweet note. A note from someone in our body that wants to say thank you or wants to um, uh, let me know that they're praying. Um, I remember when I was a very young pastor here, these two little Filipino girls walked into my office here at Trinity. They were the adopted children of Michael and Denise Wicklund. So Maddie and, and Bailey Wicklund, they walked into my office and they had little notes for me with crayon thanking me that I was their pastor. I was one of their pastors. And I remember thinking, this is sweet. I hope their parents didn't make them do that. <laughs> but they seemed to be genuine in wanting to give this little note to me. And you know what I did? I saved it. I still have it. And when I was attending their, one of their, uh, the girls' weddings not too long ago, I thought about that note. I thought about Bailey's note and, and, and how sweet it was for me at the time and encouraging and every once in a while I look back on it. Then I get ones like this from a widow in our church. And this is kind of sometimes the way it goes. It goes like this. Trinity family, your outpouring of love and support mean more to me than you will ever know. Never have I felt such depth of care as never before have I felt such depth of need. Our God has used you to minister and to bless many times over in my many years here. I can't thank you enough for being my family. Your prayers have been answered in so many ways. I keep notes like that. Um, and remember... Uh, Men like John Shoup, who was an old, an elder here in our church who passed away many years ago, and a little note he left, and whether it's a widow or an, an older man or a young child, it's so valuable in recognizing that we are to be grateful for the family of God. Do you realize that many times the family of God is your greatest family, maybe better than your own? Maybe better than your physical family. Maybe closer to you than your own personal um, family who is flesh and blood. I have felt that many, many times. I was like, I'm so thankful for the families in our church. I'm thankful for those of you who are older who pray for us as pastors and others who just care so much. Paul gives Timothy and the church specific practical directions for ministry in congregational life. That's what he's doing in these books called the pastoral epistles, pastoral letters from an old veteran pastor, elder, missionary, church planter, evangelist, to a young pastor who's been one of his church planting assistants and is now pastoring a local 
church in Ephesus, Paul, the older pastor, is writing to Timothy, the younger pastor, and in giving him advice and counsel and encouragement to teach the church how we should be with one another. And so I want to remind you again, remember, people, remember, we are a family. We should break out in song right now. We are family. We are the family of God. Honestly, we depend on each other. We care for each other. We're there to be there for each other. We're to think of each other. So I'm going to give you three things to think about today. I have actually found this very, very meaningful and helpful for me and challenging and convicting for me as I think about my responsibilities to the household of God, which is no less family than the people who live in my house. Three things. We are to care. We are to take care in the way that we relate to one another as we hold each other accountable. Secondly, we are to care for the needy amongst us, including the widows, and at the same time have wisdom and discernment. So I'll come to that. And thirdly, you know, Christianity is about giving more than receiving. That is the, um, the, the bottom line of who we are. We are people of the cross. We are always about pouring out our lives as it talks about the Apostle Paul being poured out for the believers around him. Not just for me. I'm not living just for me. I'm living for you and for one another and we are supposed to pour ourselves out for one another. And so Christianity is more about giving than receiving. More than getting. More than taking. More than to try to take advantage. It's about giving. About losing. So someone else can win. Have you ever thought about it that way? Let's pray for a moment. Lord, I do thank You for this wonderful passage that has been um, a challenge and a conviction and at the same time um, heart encouraging to me. I do pray, Lord, that this will settle on us well, that we would take it to heart as Your holy Word. Lord, as the song said, we are listening. We are listening, Lord. Help us to apply this, to cherish it as Your holy infallible, inerrant Word. Help us to keep this as truth and live it out daily. Lord, I pray that You would very graciously and lovingly give us eyes and ears to see and hear Your Son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, Paul wasn't just trying to give advice. He's trying to say these are the priorities of God. This is inspired writing. Paul is saying, Timothy, this isn't just advice that you can choose to take or not take. These aren't just suggestions. These are the priorities for, from the Lord for a healthy church, for God's household. So let me um, go into these. The first one. Uh, Take great care in the way that you relate to one another as we hold each other accountable in the household of God. Do you ever think, you know, because of the way that our society is and the culture is and the way, you know, government documents have been held up, that every person is exactly the same? You're supposed to treat everyone exactly the same. That's actually not true in the household of God. Do you realize that? 
Do you realize that people are in different places? They're in different situations. They're in different stations of life. And so Paul is actually telling Timothy here that there is a distinction in the way that we treat people in the church. Because everyone is not the same. So Paul is giving specific practical directions for ministry in the life of the congregation here. And these are some grand principles for us to still apply today. So in that time, at that church in Ephesus, right? So I'm imagining there's older people, younger people, and certainly there are people who are needy, and there's older women, younger women, older men, younger men. And notice how it begins. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters in all purity. The church is to be a place where we hold each other accountable. So don't get me wrong. We are to care for one another, to speak truth to one another. I just had to say that to someone this past week. The reason I'm saying these things that might be hard to hear is because I love you. If I didn't love you, I would let you do whatever you want to do. We have to do what we need to do to care for people. To warn them, to say, look, there's a truck coming. You need to get out of the way. Otherwise, you're going to get destroyed. And so we have warnings sometimes. Sometimes we have encouragement. In verses 1 and 2, this is Paul's principle. Everyone isn't the same in the church. And that should be reflected in the way that we treat one another in ministry. But that kind of cuts against the way that our culture is, which is treat everybody the same, Don't show favoritism, which we are not supposed to do, by the way. James teaches us that. But people aren't supposed to be treated exactly the same way. And let me explain it this way. It's actually wise and biblical advice. We're to help one another in living the Christian life, but we have to take care in the way that, in that we relate and speak to one another and treat one another. So it, Paul's telling Timothy, don't speak to an older man, to an older man, as if he was unimportant or your best friend necessarily or somebody that you take lightly. You're to appeal to them as fathers. You're not to speak to younger men kind of as lording over them or imperially over them or commanding over them, but you're supposed to treat them tactfully. You like to speak to them like brothers. Remember what I said? We are a family. We are God's family. And we have to take great care in the way that we speak and treat one another as we hold each other accountable. So let me say it this way. I grew up in a culture where my mom and dad would not even allow me to call an older man by their name. Otherwise, I would hear about it, I'd be pulled back, and I'd be told, you either say Mr. or Uncle or Pastor or something like that. You don't call them by their name. And why? It was probably obviously a cultural thing, but there is something about station of life. Speak as if He were a father figure to you. So, 
Does that mean you let an older man just do whatever he wants to do? Especially if he's going astray, especially if he's sinning? No, you speak lovingly to him and you correct him, but you treat him as you would a father with respect, with the gentleness of speech as somebody who is as a son. And by the way, this is such a great principle for us as we think about people in general. Older men as fathers. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. There is actually a great um, principle here that allows us to not only show honor and respect and care, but also uphold things like purity. And I'll come to that in a moment. There's supposed to be respect for the different stations within the family of God. As I look around our old church, as our, at our own church, I see older men, I see younger men, and there are times when you know we need to say the things that we need to say to older men. But I don't speak to them, or I'm not supposed to speak to them like I would my child or my best pal. There is a way to do that out of respect and gentleness, and yet holding them accountable. And this is not just about men. Paul says to Timothy, you're to deal with men and women differently. You appeal to older women as mothers. And so think about this. You don't neglect them care or pastoral care. And if admonishment is needed, you give admonishment. And they're supposed to receive challenge in the Christian life to hold them accountable to. But when older women sin, they're to be approached how? As an erring mother, as a mother, as a mother figure who has made an error. Today is my mom's birthday. June eleventh, nineteen thirty nine was when she was born. She is now with the Lord. But when I look at some of you ladies in the church, I realize that I no longer have an earthly figure who is my mom. And you are my mothers. You might think those are just words, but you have no idea the aching that someone feels, or maybe you do. And so even when an older woman goes astray, we are to do that as if it was our own mother who was having an error, a fault. And how do you speak? As if it was your own mother. Despite their standing, because of their standing, we do it considerately as a loving son or daughter to correct the mother in front of us with humility, with wisdom, with searching hearts, wrestling with spirituality. And that's why Paul tells Timothy to approach this, the older women in the congregation at Ephesus that way. How about younger women? This is going to be a little bit harder. You know, I'm going to speak to the men especially. Listen, younger women as sisters... This is a good challenge, isn't it? 
think Paul is very, very much talking to Timothy as a young pastor and saying, be very careful, my friend, my son in the faith, as you deal with females in your congregation, not only the older women, but the younger women. Be careful the way you look at them. Be careful the way you speak to them. Be careful in the way you touch them. Be careful in the way you pay attention to them. In purity. In carefulness. As if they were your sisters. I just had a conversation yesterday with a young woman. I only have one brother. He's younger than me. We couldn't be more different. I honestly often think, did we come from the same mother? You, you have siblings like that? You're just so different. I've always wanted a sister. I never had a sister. I didn't have an older sister. I didn't have a younger sister. But there have been a couple people in my life who have been like sisters. And there is this family member in my own life. She was five years younger than me. And out of the blue, she called me yesterday, right while I was in the middle of sermon prep and trying to finish. But then, you know what I realized? I love this girl. It's been a while since I've talked to her. She lives in New York City. She works in one of the museums. And it's been so long. Hope to see her this time when I go to New York again. And we ended up chatting for like an hour and talking about family and talking about life and talking about as we get older how much this relationship still means something. And she was telling me about how she was being mistreated by some other family members. And you know what? I got mad. I got angry at the way someone was treating my little sister. And I thought I might have to have a conversation when I get home. But think about this. We are to treat one another, especially in the household of faith, with that kind of sisterly, brotherly affection and care, and protection, and with purity, and integrity. And what a great way for us to be protected in the church, right? You know, oftentimes here at the church, I meet with older women, younger women, and it's sometimes a challenge, right? Uh, We have to be careful in the way that we do things, to be above reproach. But if You and I think of one another this way, older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. There is a difference. There is a difference because of the godliness that we are called to in our integrity and our purity. In other words, Paul's saying everyone is not the same. You treat people lovingly and honor them and care for them according to their stations of life. Now, I know that we're not all brought up in the same way and of the same culture. The South is different than the North. I grew up in an Indian household. Many of you grew up in American or Western type households. But the biblical principle applies to all of us the same. Honor, care, respect, love in integrity and purity. Remember, God made us individuals. Not cookie-cutter people. And we are to treat people individually and look at them in the eye and love them that way. Um, 
One other quick illustration and then I'll, I'll go. When I was a young pastor, my first church was my parents' home church right out of Westminster Seminary. So guess who the elders of the church are? People who are like fathers. My dad's friends. My mom's friends. And do you know the daunting task during that time? I was thinking, how in the world am I going to rebuke one of these men? How am I going to correct them? Because I guarantee you what's going to happen is this. They're going to pick up the phone and say, Chaco, guess what your son did? Guess what he had the gall to say to me? Guess what he had the nerve to say to me? As if he was an older pastor. And yet I knew that I was accountable for these people. And I knew that some of them were doing things that they weren't supposed to do. And you know, gossip, things like that. Things that they shouldn't be involved in. And I knew I had to say something, but there was this huge challenge of how do I do this in a way that will land well upon these older men for them to know that I truly love them and care for them. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and the Lord helped me somehow through some of those situations. Sometimes it went fine, sometimes it didn't. But I had to do what I had to do because of the truth. It was hard to admonish, but it could be done if it's done with care and respect. By the way, here's a little principle. An old pastor friend of ours, a mentor of ours who said this, there's nothing that cannot be said that needs to be said if it's said in love. If it's said in love and they know you love them and care for them, there's nothing that can't be said that needs to be said if it's done in love. Okay, second point. Second point is proper care for widows or any, any needy Christian in the congregation of God's household. This is how it begins. Verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. I'll come back to that statement in a moment. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. What is this saying? Well, obviously at that time in the, in the uh, church in Ephesus, there were widows. But then Paul makes a distinction here. Not all widows are the same. There are some, Paul says here, to honor who are truly widows. What does that mean? And as you unfold the passage, it begins to look like this. By the way, biblical principle, right? You care for orphans and widows in the household of God. We're supposed to do that. Care for orphans and widows. And yet, within the household of God, there's supposed to be discernment. There's supposed to be wisdom. You know why? Well, many reasons. I can't go into all of them here perfectly, but one is we have limited people, limited resources, and we do need to prioritize those who are truly in need. By the way, in looking over this passage and meditating on it, I'm not a scholar, but it clearly seems to me that it's not just about widows. It's really about anybody who is in need in our congregation that needs to be cared for, but with discernment and wisdom. So let me unfold it a little bit more. In the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus, there were widows, some who were younger widows, older widows. 
But in particular, Paul's admonition or directions here are to care for those widows who are truly widows. And in other translation, it's written like this, who are widows indeed. (laughs) What does that mean? A widow is a widow. Well, there is a strong, strong directive here towards families to care for their own. Children to parents, siblings to siblings, grandchildren to grandparents. There is a strong directive here for family members to care for their own first. But then you still have people who have nobody. They don't have a, a, a person, a, a living parent. If you happen to be a widow, there's not a living parent to to turn to. There's not a sibling to turn to. There's no children in the mix. What do you do then? Then it's our responsibility to be the family. To be the family that God has made us to be around these people. To truly care for them and to provide for them more than in words, by the way. Indeed. Providing for their physical needs, their material needs their emotional needs, their spiritual needs, all these things. But there is a strong directive here towards families. But let me give you a background principle first from John's Gospel chapter 13. You don't need to turn to it, but it goes something like this. Jesus speaks to His disciples and says, love one another as I have loved you, and they, the world, will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. That's how the watching world knows and recognizes true faith, true Christianity, true religion, when we truly care for one another. By the way, you look at Acts 2 and Acts 6, and the way that the early church cared for their needy people, and the outside world notices there's something different about them. They're really, really taking care of their own. The outside world is watching and recognizing that the church has a way of doing things that truly takes care of the widows, the orphans, the truly needy. And it's a witness to the love of Jesus who, what happened in, around that verse, John 13, Jesus takes off His outer cloak puts a towel around his waist, gets on the ground, and washes his disciples' feet. An object lesson, right? And says, this is how the world will know that you love one another if you love one another this way. Going all the way. Doing humiliating tasks. So that, now listen again, remember I used this word earlier, we become the kind of people who are truly disciples of Jesus who walk around to others and say, I am willing to lose so you can win. Has anyone ever said something like that to you? I am willing to lose so you can win, so you can be elevated, so you can grow, so you can prosper. It's totally sacrificial. It's the way of the cross. 
the world took notice and will take notice now. They were tangibly caring for one another, showing Christ's love, and it's a witness before the watching world of belonging to Jesus. So Paul says it's not just about widows, it's about anybody who's in need. And the word honor here doesn't just mean looking at someone with high regard, it's actually meaning providing and doing. Words in action. Deeds. Actually caring. So there's two aspects here that I want to quickly point out again. And it's this. A truly needy widow is somebody who doesn't have the family member there. There's nobody to turn to. No children, no parents, no siblings to really care for them. That is a true, truly needy widow or a truly needy person in our midst. And the second part is this. Notice this. She is a person who is truly a witness and disciple of Christ herself. She's made a commitment to Christ in the life of the congregation. That she's not somebody who's a hypocrite. That she's not somebody who's professing to be a believer and not living as a believer, but is truly a believer. Do you see that? She has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. And the opposite, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. We're to honor and care for those who are truly in need among us and especially those who have given their lives for Christ and are true disciples of the Lord and have made those commitments. We need to look around. Diaconate especially, but all of us, we're to look around and see these people and honor them and care for them. You know what the warning here is? Look at verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know what the old English word is? An infidel. That's a good word is an infidel. Someone who does not care for their own family is worse than an unbeliever. Strong words from the Apostle Paul. And very often, family neglect has taken place for one reason or another. Someone has sinned against someone else. And there are various reasons, right? There's a break in family relationships. And then there's no longer a safety net. But there is a warning here. Listen, I want to tell you something very honestly as one of your pastors. One of the most challenging things in my life is taking care of my elderly father. My mom passed away in 2016. I feel like I have a sixth child. And it's getting harder and harder to the point where I have to get Jaya involved and say, please fill the medicine box. Please remind him when I'm not there. Please tell him what day it is. Ask him if he's eaten. 
But then every once in a while, in the middle of some of my griping, I hear God's Word. Worse than an unbeliever. If I don't do what I can do and need to do. Now there are times where we can do things. It's beyond us. We can't, we can't provide, can't do the physical things that are needed, right? God helps us with those. But there is a responsibility to us. So here's what Paul's saying. Care, honor, provide with discernment. But that does not exempt family members from doing what they are called to do also so it takes wisdom. The third thing, the third point, and I'll close with this. The mark of true Christianity is a life of giving oneself primarily for others. It's, the, the, the Christian life is not mainly about getting and receiving. It's about pouring out our lives our lives in the footsteps of Jesus. And there are high standards for people who do ministry. So let me, let me just quickly go through this last section and then we'll close. Let a widow be enrolled. Isn't that an interesting word? So there's some kind of log book or registry book at the church in Ephesus where they're supposed to use discernment. You know why? Because not everybody that walks into the church with a sad story is a needy widow. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown a hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Enroll them. And this is what it sounds to me like. It almost sounds like this person who is a true believer and who's truly a widow in need, a widow indeed, she doesn't have other people. The church takes her in. The church provides for her. The church cares for her as a family member. And then, listen to this, out of love and gratitude, she now pledges her life to love and serve the church. She says, you care for me? Well, as a disciple of Christ, now I'm going to care for you. Maybe not in the same way. Maybe not with the same means. They may not have enough money or enough energy, but in their own way, what they're saying is, the love and grace you've shown to me, I am going to pledge back to the household of God and serve and care and do what I can. Like writing little notes to the pastor. Or helping at VBS. Or setting up coffee. Or whatever it is, it's a pledge of I am going to do what I can within the household of God as we care for one another. And then notice that there's a little warning here. But refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. What does that mean, having abandoned their former faith? I think it means more something like this. Their pledge when they were needy and the church was taking care of them, of devoting their life to service in the church. They're younger widows. So you know what Paul actually says to Timothy? Encourage the younger widows to get married. 
If God allows, if God provides, and they encourage them to have a family, encourage them to keep house and take care of children again, and not to, not to necessarily be entangled. But now that's not the case for everybody. I understand that. But there is a, an encouragement here in saying care for those who have need, but encourage those younger widows if the Lord enables them to marry again, to, ha- to, to be part of a family, if, if possible. It's all about a giving life. And once that happens, there is a high standard that Paul talks about. It's about godliness. It's about standards for ministry. And this may apply for more than just the widows here. Listen, do you do ministry in the church? Do you give to one another? Do you serve? Well, it's all about character. It's not just about doing. It's about character. It's about godliness. It's about people who truly love the Lord and love one another. There is a godliness standard that is a qualification for those who minister in the church. And this is what it sounds like to me that these truly widow people on this list, they became an arm to the church to help the elders and the deacons. They became an arm to help the rest of the church. What a wonderful thing. Listen, as we close here, I want to tell you a quick story. There is a woman in my childhood growing up I didn't know if she had a husband or if something happened or all I know is she was alone. But she was always at the church serving. She would be leading women in prayer and Bible studies. She would be teaching children. She would be at gatherings serving. And as I look back on it now, it sounds like the picture here in Timothy as a woman who had pledged to love and serve the rest of the body as she was once cared for by the church. And it was a beautiful picture. As I think back on her, she's long gone now, but I remember her face and the way that she was pouring out her life for the church and giving back to the church, so to speak. So what is this all about? It's about honoring caring, being discerning, being helpful, being a people who are about pouring out ourselves because of what God has done for us. Not just about taking and receiving. It's about being people of the cross. Is that us? Are we looking for people amongst us whom we can pour into ourselves, the widows, the true widows, the true needy within our church? The Lord calls us to that. Let me finish here just with one really small, quick story that came from a commentary I read. The commentator, Dr. Phil Riken, tells this story. Maybe Jeff has already read this. It says, there is a man in his church that he grew up in who went as a missionary to a Latin American country. And he was assigned to live in this house with this family who had only two things. The one little room and the clothes on their back. One other thing, a chicken. So the mission time came to an end 
and it was time for him to leave. And the family decided to honor him by providing a dinner. And to his astonishment, it was soup. But when he looked at the soup, there was meat in the soup. And so he was wondering, what kind of meat could this be? And as soon as he tasted it, he realized it's chicken soup. And he couldn't quite bring himself to eat without tears coming down his cheeks as he realized, did they really just kill their one chicken for me? And tears were going down his face. And as the father of the house looked at him, basically this is what he conveyed. Brother, we are in Christ. You are my family. Why would I not sacrifice for you? It's powerful. What are we willing to do? Are you walking in the pathways of the King and of the cross? This is what we're called to do to one another. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful that you continue to admonish us and teach us. Maybe we have things that we need to correct here within our own households and within the family of God. Lord, I pray that we would be sacrificial this way. Lord, use us. May we be the aroma of Christ to the rest of the world. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for teaching us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.